it. Played by Westbrook. Ginobili for three. Yes! One-point lead for San Antonio. Terry, a long three. Bang! Jason Terry gives the Mavericks a seven-point lead with 33 seconds remaining. Simmers bring it in. Five seconds to go. Tie game. Seat belts are fastened. Lou Williams for the win. Bingo! Oh my goodness. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Six Man Pod. I'm your host, Zach Barnett. And joining me as always, as he does from Indiana land, is my wonderful co-host, Mark Satterley. Mark. Have you ran a four-minute mile yet? No. I will probably never run a four-minute mile. I've run a four-minute, 39-second mile, but that is as fast as I get. I'm uh, I'm not really too much of a short-distance guy. So, calling a mile short-distance, that's like calling me Well, I guess in, to put it in perspective, my uh, I would say my distance of choice that I'm – working with right now is the half marathon so it's what uh 13.1 miles right yep 112 13 is the current best i expect you to get under an hour eventually man i need to be uh getting that sponsorship money if that ever happens (laughs) and of course on the other line from chicago land himself our college basketball junkie, Bulls fanatic, and sad Notre Dame fan after blowing a lead to Oklahoma State, Cam Koenig. Cam, have you recovered since the Packers won the first seed in the playoffs, or are you still down from Notre Dame losing? Uh, well, obviously, uh, you know, Notre Dame losing is a disappointment. They've choked away yet another New Year's bowl they have not i don't think i think the last time they won one was 1994 1993 something along those lines so i certainly haven't seen one uh in my time but uh you know the packers locking up the one seed is always uh nice to see um notre dame basketball has a 18 point lead on clemson as we speak uh and yeah, I'm, I, I guess I'm, I'm about as good as we can be doing. It's always good to hear the IUPUI basketball team continues to struggle. Of course, the women's team continues to win close games in the conference. And I, and I continue to be inherently frustrated with the state of the NBA, but nothing has changed on that front. Let's open the news desk. Probably the biggest piece of news most recently is the return of Clay Thompson. I think returning for his first game in like 700 days. Yeah, I think uh, it was like two years and change. I think I it mean, was his first game since he got hurt in the NBA in the uh, 2019 finals. 19 finals, yeah. Splash Bro number two is back. They, 
yeah, they've got Splash Bro Jr. with Jordan Poole there. I'm telling you, that team, once they get their chemistry going, it's, they're, they're never going to lose again. I, 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 it's interesting to me, you know, you look at a team that was bounced by Memphis in the playing game last year, and it was like a 60% Steph, you know, an 80% Jordan Poole, and like a 70% Draymond. And now that all those guys are healthy, and then you toss on a Clay Thompson who's been rehabbing for a long time, they they might never lose again. I mean, you lost last night. No, I mean, night. they lost, to, what, last night? Yeah, but, I mean, you're talking Clay Thompson's still probably only at 60%. I'm saying I don't, he gets to 100%. Because I, I saw Draymond Green, I think, got hurt right before – Clay came back. I don't know if he's if he's back playing or not yet. He is not. Uh, he has no. a groin issue, I believe. So I hate those groin issues. It, and the be- the best part of all this is they still have Andrew Wiggins too. So it's like the rich get richer. Oh and yeah, and they got James Wiseman too. They got the yeah. Their their team is stacked regardless. It's yeah, like it's, playing two K. See uh, Draymond Green deal with groin issues. Yeah, you know, he's been dealing with groin issues every year since the uh, 2016 finals. So, uh, roast. <laughs> I, another big piece of news that we really need to talk about, of course, is the uh, weekly slash daily slash every like crazy thing revolving around the NBA. And that's all the new coaches saying dumb shit to the media. I want to start off with Chauncey Billups. Now, I love Chauncey Billups, the basketball player, right? And I think a lot of people do, too. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame this year. I think he gets inducted in a couple of months, even. And I really, really like Chauncey Billups, the player, off the court, too. I get he had his issues early in his career. But so did Peyton Manning. So did all these other people. It, and yet they're still heralded as what they are. But Chauncey Billups has gone out of his way to attack his team at press conferences. And if he's trying to be a coach in the NBA, when you have arguably a top 15 player in Dame Lillard, and then probably a top 40 player in C.J. McCollum, and one of the best rising stars in the league in Anthony Simons. You should not be telling, like, call your team out publicly like that. You know, we kind of saw it this year in the NFL. The coaches who were willing to call their players out in public were the ones who got shit canned on Black Monday. So, I mean, with the exception, of course, Durbin Meyer, who was fired weeks ago. But the, you know, again, it's because of contra- contra- uh, things that were detrimental to the team off, off the field, of course, as well as kicking a kicker, which you just don't do. Well, Urban what? Meyer had some conduct detrimental to the team on the field, too. Let's, let's be honest. <laughs> hey, man, they they beat the Colts. So, like, the Jets. Not with Urban Meyer. Yeah, but they couldn't have been that bad. You know what I mean? Like, No, they're you know, pretty bad. I think the Colts just contrived to uh, find ways to pull losses out of their ass. 
They shit a brick. That's the best way to describe it. The next, the next big one, of course, is uh, Idoku in. Hold on, before we move off of that, there are positive ways to call out your team in the media to get a response, to get a reaction, to get a movement going in. You know, either off a bad stretch or going to into a next game. But you're right, Chauncey Billups, the recent, has not necessarily seemed like it, it, it has had that tact in, in no uncertain terms. Like, there are ways to do such things, uh, and I think it would behoove Chauncey to learn how to do such things. Yeah, it's like constructive criticism is a thing. Like, you can be motivational while also being critical without also just, yeah, being a dick. Right, and another big thing there, of course, is like singling people out. I think is not the best way to do it. Moving on then to Ime Udoku in Boston, of course, taking over for Brad Stevens. Again, kind of questioning his team effort publicly. I get it. They're way more talented than their record says. I don't know what's the issue in Boston. Maybe it is Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum playing together. But, I mean, they combined for 50 or 34 in the first half of the Pacers game today. So, like, I can't imagine that it's that. For and me, I – They had um, 41 points, 41 of 99 against the, the Knicks, um, you know, the other day. And Jalen Brown even went out and said, like, you know, there's – no, you know, there's no reason why they can't be an effective long-term partnership. I, I, I agree with them. I still, I think that, you know, if, if, if you're talking about just like a top one, two combo in the league, I don't, I, I don't necessarily, there's not much better than, you know, Brown and Tatum. So I, I don't necessarily think it's that it's probably just been the case we, we see with a lot of other, these, teams and I think maybe you can you know kind of use Portland even as an example as well you know with Lillard and McCollum where's the supporting cast you know it's you know you have to building an effective supporting cast um, you know around your combo is always going to be you know it's always going to be key and that's with any combination you know if you look at maybe an effective combination like you know Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan look at what the Bulls have done they've you know, for the most part have, you know, they brought in Lonzo Ball to play defense. They brought in Zach Caruso to play, you know, defense on, off the bench. They have Nikola Vucevic who can space the floor, floor, floor for them a bit. You know, obviously, you know, the Bulls have their own issues that they need to address, but there are ways that these combos can work. And I, I think that's really the difference when you see a effective partnership and a non-effective partnership. A lot of the times it doesn't really have to deal with the partnership at all, but it's more so what has their, you know, supporting cast, how is their supporting cast built? And I just, I, I don't, I just don't see it. And I necessarily haven't seen it in Boston uh, around those two. Well, they've tried, you know, they tried the Kemba experiment. They tried Gordon Hayward. They tried uh, Kyrie Irving. They've tried to get even like a third star in there. But I agree with you. I think it's actually more important that you just have like, a solid seven other guys around them. Because if you have two A players, 
and I would say Tatum's probably an A. Jalen Brown's probably an A minus to an A. And you just surround them with a bunch of C plus, B minus role playing guys. That's probably more than enough to make your team pretty consistent. I mean, I would love, you know, just because I have the utmost respect for Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, I would love to see them with a point guard who's actually competent and not Dennis Schroeder. I think that, like, you throw a competent point guard on there and a center who makes sense. You know, I enjoy Grant Williams. I think he's probably fine as a seventh, eighth guy, but not when he's starting. I, I, I legitimately think that, like, they would have a pretty solid team. But then again, when you had Danny Ainge as your GM, he wasn't willing to make the moves necessary to put a good supporting cast around him. He was always trying to get the next it guy. You know, you look at the the trade that the Pacers had all but done to send Doug McDermott and Miles Turner to Boston in a sign-in trade for Hayward. And instead, because he didn't want to deal with the Pacers GM, Kevin Pritchard, he said, fuck you. And Gordon Hayward walked away and goes to Charlotte for a second-round pick in a sign-in trade. To me, you know, I, I understand the whole, you know, maybe Tatum and Brown kind of overlap on skill set. But at the end of the day, if you're two A, A-minus players, it doesn't matter how much you overlap on skill set. You look at LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you know, when they're together, how good the Lakers are. And I would say that there's a decent amount of overlap between those two players, defensively and offensively. But then you look at all the other things that each of them provide. It, it's night and day difference having both of them together versus one or the other. The next coach, though, I think we got to talk about is Jason Kidd with the Dallas Mavericks. I have not kept, a whole, kept up a whole lot on the Mavericks. I know that I would personally love to get Jalen Brunson off the team if they want Miles Turner. I'll send them Jalen. You know, I want Jalen Brunson in return. But how close do you guys think Luca is to being the number one player in the league? And can Jason Kidd get him there? Because let's be real, Giannis didn't develop to be the number one player in the league under Jason Kidd. He was, you know, riding the bench as the seventh, eighth man. It took Budenholzer going in to really kind of show off what he had. What do you guys think the ceiling is for Luca with a coach like Kidd in there? I mean, I honestly think it's kind of like how the Mavericks have been playing this season. They've either been, like, pretty decent, beaten, like, pretty good teams, or they've been, like, surprisingly absent. Um, and I know Luca has had his injuries here and there, and obviously Porzingis has never, like, a sure thing in terms of being healthy either, but I don't know. I mean, you would hope that with a guy that talented, you just, you know, give him the keys and say, all right, drive this team, like do what you need to do and that sort of thing. But like, I don't know. I mean, at some point you like, there is development and there is coaching that has to be had, but to a certain extent with players that talented, you just kind of like let them go. But I don't know. That's just my take. 
I would probably agree with you. I think um, – let, let me put it this way. Like, I think Luca developing into a top three player, top five player in the NBA is probably a given with or without, like, Jason Kidd being there. Like, it – I'm gonna I'm gonna say this, and this might be a little bit of a of a hot take. The NBA specifically, in terms of not just like professional sports, but I'm maybe like sports in general. I think the head coach in an NBA of an NBA team has like the least effect on how players are playing. In ter- like in in comparison to any other sport, any other league. Um, oh, I definitely agree. I think it's a lot of man, just man management and managing personalities and getting people to work together. Because like, if we look at it, um, Steve Nash didn't have a whole lot of experience going into that Brooklyn job. I would say he's done a passable job as a coach because like, all you really need to do is like get your big superstars to play well together and just say, okay, you know handle deal with each other's personalities well and then we can like play good basketball exactly it's like you're pretty much like hey here's the system here's some plays like figure it out and you know in in terms of Luca you know he he has the talent and I think he's shown that he is you know is going to be a top three top five player in the league um Jason Kidd probably just needs to be a game manager for the most part I mean you know, him, you know, Luca and Porzingis are playing really well this season. You know, the Mavericks are fifth in the West right now. They have about a – they have a game-and-a-half lead in front of Denver for that fifth seed. I think the – you know, they're kind of – they're lumped in that third tier of teams in the West, I think. Um, you know, Phoenix and Golden State clearly at the top. Utah and Memphis clearly – their own, their second tier. And then you kind of have like the, the, the rest of the playoff teams, I would say, you know, Dallas, Denver, the Lakers, the Clippers are probably that third tier of like, Hey, who's going to fill out. Um, Luca can definitely, you know, if he gets the, if he gets the right matchups, I think he could really take over a playoff series this year. And, you know, Dallas could sneak into the semifinals and I don't, I just, I don't know how much of an effect, that um, you know that Jason Kidd's really going to have on that because you know they're they're 22 and 18 at 40 games like I don't know what their record like last year was at this at this point with Carlisle um, but it, it 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 is what it is I like I said I I think you know Luke is going to develop regardless of who's there yeah I think so too I mean honestly he's all of what 21 22 he's not very he's not super old and he's only been playing for a couple of years now in the NBA so it's like well you got to give him a couple more years to probably hit that prime kind of like uh, Giannis did so yeah, he'll, he's turning 23 in February so. yeah um for what it's worth yeah and yeah so it, that's I think you know that's where you're going to get with him so Let's let's continue on to the news desk here. Um, speaking of a team that I uh, that I talked about, um, the Grizzlies, I think probably the biggest surprise 
of the season so far. They are 29 and 14. They are tied with Utah for, you know, third in the conference. You know, John Morant has been playing his playing out of his mind. They have won their last 10 games. Is this Memphis team for real? I'm going to start with, I think they're like a piece away. I legitimately think that like, if you put Miles Turner on the Grizzlies, I think they could actually go win a title in the next two years. You mean that, you, you put him on the Grizzlies and then he just whines and complains that he's the victim of the, uh, the organization not playing him to his full capabilities? Look, man, winning cures all. And I'm telling you, if you have Jaron Jackson Jr. and Miles Turner protecting the paint, it's going to be hard to score on them and they can spread the floor and they can get out and run. And that and that's that's the recipe for success out West. You have so many finesse teams out West where they're going to rely on, you know, the way, you know, you not disrupting them and them playing basically this game plan that's set in stone. You look at Phoenix, you look at Utah where they play the one man inside spread four outside, you know, Memphis literally just has a bunch of dogs running around, stealing the ball, going on fast breaks. They, the whole team seems like they're under the age of 25 other than Steven Adams. And just get out, they get out and run. And I think that that is such a unique way to build that team. But also I think that that's the best way to build that team. I mean, John Morant at this point is the best player taken in that draft by a mile. I get the advanced analytics say Zion's this like, you know, special player and everything, but if he isn't touching the floor, but every once in every four games, yeah, you got you got to look at you got to look at John Morant being the best player, and then you add in everything else they've done. You know, Zaire Williams, many people thought was going to be in the G League all year, and yesterday he had uh, seventeen six and five, I think, while guarding Jordan Poole. I I legitimately think like Memphis is for real. I like their matchup against Golden State. I like their matchup with uh, all the bottom parts of the West, but they need a center who's going to be able to go throw down with Aiton and with they – need, they need somebody to throw down with Gobert. And as we've seen before, Miles Turner against Rudy Gobert, at least you know it'll end fist to cup. You know, and Miles Turner against Dayton has always been a pretty nasty battle for both players. Steven Adams is good, but he doesn't have the offensive prowess to get those two guys out of the paint enough. So Ja has a free run to the basket. And so like Brandon Clark and these guys have a free run to the basket. They need another stretch. They need a stretch five out there. And I think they're set. Uh, that's, you know, that's why I would go with Miles Turner. He's probably the cheapest one that is also reliable on defense. But I also understand if they want to just keep rolling with their team, they've won 10 in a row. It's hard to argue with that aspect of it too, but. Yeah, kudos to that. just a bunch of young dudes running around, running as fast as possible. And John Morant looking like a fucking superhero 
jumping out of the gym to block shots. It, it's been un- unbelievable that team. That block was in fucking sane. I don't think I've seen a block. I mean, other than when John Morant pinned, like he jumped from the free throw line and pinned the ball against the backboard against Evansville. That was the only that was the only other time I've ever seen anything like that. And like I <laughs> I would love to see John Morant in the dunk contest at this point. I I, I gotta see it. Like Get his agent on the phone. Somebody offer him money. Somebody go sponsor him. I don't care. Get John Moran at the dunk contest. I got I to gotta see this man do it. I feel like he could dunk on 13. Have we had anybody go higher? I know we've. I've seen it in college, but have we had anybody go up to like 12, 12 and a half feet? I, I didn't. I think uh, like D- Dwight or Blake Griffin went 12 one year. I think it was Dwight. I think you might be right. It was maybe Dwight one of the years he won. Hey, man, if he could dunk on 13, it'd be insane. Because I think he's he's not really tall, if I remember correctly. He's only 6'2", 6'3", you know, like 180, 185 pounds. I mean, like, if I remember correctly, John Morant wasn't that big. It's just he's a super freak when it comes to jumping out of a gym. Yeah, he's he's listed at, like, Six three, like one eighty. Yeah, one seventy four. He's listed at so. Oof. Yeah, and yeah, that that block was just was just crazy. And yeah, I I, I think yeah, I think uh, Memphis is one hundred percent for real this year. Who whoever gets that number that you know depend obviously depending on you know where those top four seeds kind of fall about because you know. Phoenix and Memphis at, at one and four are only three and a half games apart. So like, there's still a lot of jockeying to be done because I think I, like I would rather play Utah to be completely honest with you in the semifinals. I see. I think I would rather go through golden state. No, I'm talking about like, if, if you had to pick between Memphis and Utah, if Phoenix and Golden State are your one, two. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I would much rather play Utah in the second round than play Memphis. Memphis, you know, even if you win, is going to be the hardest six, seven games of your life because they're going to, they're going to, they're going to make your life a living hell. But, you know, again, Utah is one of those teams where they have to win with finesse. They have to have, all four outside guys shooting the ball well or Rudy Gobert having a 20-20 game for them to be able to win. And Memphis, I swear they average 100 fast break points a game, which is absurd. I know they don't, but, like, I think they're 20-4 and since Thanksgiving. John Morant, I would say, deserves every bit of the recognition he's getting. Should be an MVP candidate. I mean, they've been really unbelievable, in my opinion. So but now, finishing but now, off the news desk here, um, ESPN report, sources say Damian Lillard plans to have an abdo- abdominal surgery uh, out indefinitely, potentially six to eight weeks. Where does this put – we've talked about Chauncey Billups and his uh, – coaching his, his man management uh, ability or inability. 
Where does this put Portland as they sit in 10th in the Western Conference, four and seven uh, in the games without Lillard, missing C.J. McCollum as well? Well, here's my thing. C.J. will be back in the next couple of days, you know, his, uh, he's, I think he's returning from a collapsed lung as well as COVID protocol. So um, then he'll probably miss a game or two because his kid will be born. So he may wait until after his kid's born before he comes back. I don't know what his plans are there. My, my big thing is I heard from Brian Windhorst on Twitter and I read some articles today, not just the ESP one that came out, but there was a couple of other uh, Portland beat writers have said they'd be shocked if Lillard played again this season unless they magically improve to a top, you know, six seed in the West. And I, I think I agree with that decision for him. I, I really do. He's been putting the surgery off basically since the uh, tear in his abdomen muscle happened uh, early this season. I think it, you know, and he's only got one or two more years of his prime. You, we, we can't be messing around here where we're wasting prime Lillard years with him playing at 50%. If I was the team's medical staff, I'd potentially look at having him shut down and really hit it home that like they, they've got some issues they got to iron out, you know, the CJ McCollum, you know, he's making $34 million. What do you do with him? Yusuf Nurkic, Larry Nance making over $10 million. There's a lot of pieces there uh, that are probably enticing the teams trying to make a run. But if you're a team like Portland is right now where you're barely scraping by with just because Anthony Simons has been playing out of his skull, it'd be really hard for me to say, like, oh, yeah, we should we, – you need to make Lillard come back. The thing that's interesting about Portland is that the I would say everybody but Houston is kind of in the running for that tenth seed at the moment. Um, you know the the if you kind of like I was talking about that those tiers of teams like I I don't necessarily know what Minnesota like it's just hard to trust Minnesota even though they are you know, three and a half games in front of Portland sitting in the nine seed at 20 and 21. But Portland, San Antonio, Sacramento, New Orleans, and Oklahoma City are all within three games of that 10 seed. And I, out of those teams, I mean, Portland's probably in the best bet, in the best position to go for it. Um, so I, I, I can get where, you know, there may, this may just be a, you know, this is probably going to be just a decision that, um, you know, Dame and McCollum have to make, like, are we sticking this out for the year? And, you know, to try and sneak our way into the, into the, you know, into the playing game, I'm sure the organization wants them to do it, but, you know, they have been, mentioned and targeted and rumored about these Ben Simmons trades about other trades not even not even involving Simmons um and I Portland may be at a crossroads relatively quick as to really like just the short-term the short-term and long-term future about this organization because 
I see the writing on the wall at this point with a record like that. Like so, someone is maybe going to make a move or going to decide like, hey, we want to be that 10 seed. I'm not sure if Portland's going to make that decision. Right. And honestly, I think I have more faith in a young OKC, you know, continuing their momentum where they've had a couple of good wins here over the last month um, and figuring out a way to get the 10 seed or even San Antonio getting their shit together. This podcast is sponsored in part by Fanatics. Fanatics offers the broadest assortment of fan merchandise and memorabilia worldwide from all your favorite leagues and sports, not just the NBA and NCAA like we talk about here, but also the NFL. And I'm in the market for some new Packers gear myself, and with Fanatics selection, I can choose between jerseys, t-shirts, and sweatshirts, even face masks, tailgating equipment, and stuff for my pets. And I'm leaning towards getting a nice sweatshirt myself. You can also shop MLB, NHL, NASCAR, and all your favorite soccer leagues around the globe. Order now and get free U.S. shipping on any and all orders over $29 using code 29SHIP. Again, that's 29SHIP, 29SHIP. And now, back to the podcast. I, I want to transition now into my my favorite segments. You guys know I love making fake trades, especially when I got nothing better to do at work. So I came up with a new segment, four trades that won't happen, but would fix a lot of problems for the NBA. And... I put a lot of thought into this. And by that, I mean like several two-hour shifts at the Office of Student Affairs where I put some trades together and I said, what could make the most sense? So I'll read the trade off. And then I just want to hear your guys' reaction to each of them. Uh, So the first one here, this is a Pacers and Lakers trade. Uh, it involves sending Jeremy Lamb, Miles Turner, and Karis LeVert to the Lakers. The Pacers would receive Russell Westbrook, Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, and two future first-round picks. I'll start with you, Mark, since you're the Pacers fan here, and you have not heard this idea. Initial thoughts, go. Sorry, can you repeat that really quick? I know it's a lot to take in. It was it was a lot of it was a lot of names given, and I'm like, it. <laughs> Basically, you need to think of it as Miles Turner, Karis LeVert, and Jeremy Lamb for Russell Westbrook and two first round picks. As much as I've always had a soft spot for Russ, I don't think he's the the player to turn your team around. I, I, I don't think he's that guy anymore. He's 32 now, I think. And, I mean, he can play a part, but if you want him to build on a build a winning team, he's not going to be your guy because more likely than not, he's going to command a lot of money and he's going to probably stat chase most nights. And if you got that, then I don't know how much – else you have around I mean you would still have Sabonis you would still have TJ Warren and you know some of those other guys in the Pacers but like 
I think their roles are going to be diminished if you get Russell Westbrook because he is a guy that pretty much has to have the ball in his hands. And I know people are like, oh, but he's playing better at the Lakers, you know, being kind of one of one of the options that they have, but still he's still a very like ball dominant type of type of player. So I don't know. Mark, you're missing it would be interesting. You're missing the most obvious thing about this, and that is Attendance would spike. Don't tell me the Pacers wouldn't sell like 10,000 Russell Westbrook jerseys in the first month he was on the team. I'd probably buy one, like, if we're going to be real. You're, you're also missing how good Russell Westbrook is in the pick and roll, and the Pacers have the best pick and roll center in the NBA, Demonis Simonis. I also, totally agree. Also, you get a backcourt of Lance Stevenson and Russell Westbrook from time to time. And that just sounds like basketball bliss to me. Now, Cam, I sent you this a couple days ago, and I believe your reaction was, stop sending me fake trades. But I have to ask you, what is your opinion of Russell Westbrook to the Pacers? It, it really comes down to this. Is, is that salary worth – is eating that salary worth the worth the, the first – worth the – two first rounds from a, a Lakers team that, you know, those aren't necessarily going to, those aren't going to be lottery picks by any means. Like they could be though. I mean, you're talking about 2026 and 2028. You're, you're, it would be the first two you could get. So, so the, the brawny James Jr. Lakers years. If, if they're lucky. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's, it's tough. It's like, I, I get that. Like, you know, Malik Monk is, is a decent asset to have. Um, and Austin, well. Austin Reeves, we, yeah. we've seen him it, hit big shots. Like I said, you know, we talked about this last time. Something needs to be done with the Pacers. I just don't know what it is because there's a million different things that you could do with them. Um, the other one, I, I think that you're probably you're probably on to something with the Turner to, and Memphis connection. Because I, I think that there may be a few more enticing assets there. And, and I think you may be able to get like, a, you may be able to get some something more than like, or something less toxic than a Russell Westbrook contract for it. All right, it's time for the next. Deal. I don't see anything toxic about that. Team trade. Next deal, two-team trade, 76ers, Washington Wizards. The Sixers get Davis Bertans, Bradley Beal, Kyle Kuzma. The Wizards get Tobias Harris, Ben Simmons, and the 2022 first-round pick. I think this is finally the, the guard that needs to be paired with Maxi and Embiid, which is why the Sixers do it. They also get Kuzma and a great shooter off the bench in Bertans. And the Wizards do this solely because I think they have the opportunity to make some noise in the playoffs if they can tighten up their defense. And I think that getting Ben Simmons as a defensive acre to go with like Rui Hachimura, who hasn't played a lot this year, and to go with Aaron Holiday and um, Spencer Dinwiddie, then having Tobias Harris as your, you know, your two-way, uh, you know, as your offensive option, I think goes a long way. 
Um, you know, that, that'll open up the floor a little bit. You can let Simmons be your floor general, but also be your all-defensive player and essentially one of the best defensive players in the league. And I'll start with you, Cam. Initial thoughts on this. We've already kind of heard that Philly wants to move both contracts at the same time. You think this is enough to get it done? Yeah, Beal is certainly the most um, outside of like a CJ McCollum or the Damian Lillard, certainly the most like enticing asset that I think they can get. And I think, yeah, that would, that would definitely, um, I, I think that would definitely change Philly's fortunes. And I think you would probably be, you know, talking about them alongside like the Bulls and the Nets is like, you know, and the Bucks is like the upper echelon of the East. And I mean, the Sixers are, they're 23 and 16 so far, you know, that's 23 and 16 without Ben Simmons. Um, you know, they have a seven game win streak by, um, as of now, as you know, regardless of that, you know, they obviously could use a, a little bit more because I don't necessarily think that they're really going to compete without another piece uh, once we get into the Eastern Conference Finals. I like it. I don't know if um, I don't know if Washington uh, is necessarily too interested in flipping Beal for Simmons. I think you may have to drop that first round pick, but it, it certainly it certainly fixes scenes. And I think the most important thing about that is it's just some fresh air. It's fresh scenery for both for both superstars involved in that deal. Because I know Beal hasn't necessarily had the most uh, the, the best relationship with Washington front office and obviously Simmons is Simmons. So now Mark, obviously I know you're not super big on Ben Simmons, but I, I want to get your thoughts on this real quick before we move on to trade number three. Um, I mean, I think that would be a good deal for Philly. Um, it seems like right now Simmons isn't going to play for them and they want to get a decent amount in return. And like they would be getting a chunk in return for him um, and for Tobias Harris on that. Um, and I think, I guess the thing with Philly, it seems like at least the past year or two is it seems like they've just been kind of stagnating. Um, if that makes sense to where it's like, they're not bad, but I don't see them getting better by staying put right now. Um, so I think moving those two pieces and then, you know, obviously getting Bradley Beal, great score. Um, and yeah, getting Kuzma and then getting some of these other guys in there. If anything, it freshens it up. And I think Philly could really use a refresher on that. Um, Washington, on the other hand, I mean, once again, I don't know how much better they're going to get by staying where they're at. So like, shit, why not? Awesome. That's what we like to hear. We like knowing that these, these trades are not that outlandish. Here's one that is completely outlandish. A pipe dream never would happen in a million years, but I had to do it. Portland receives Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson. The Pelicans receive C.J. McCollum, Robert Covington, Larry Nance Jr., 
and three unprotected first round picks from 2024, 2026, and 2028 from Portland. Now, I did this because Zion is already rehabbing in Portland. He's up there with a foot specialist. And I, I think that a change of scenery would do him some good. And God damn it, I want to watch Zion Williamson and Dame Lillard play basketball together. That would be the most electrifying thing of all time. Now, there would have to be a second move here. I don't think New Orleans wants to hold on to C.J. McCollum, so they probably move him to a different team. But that's not the problem here right now. The problem is, is this a good enough return for Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram? We'll start with you, Mark. What do you think? I mean, I would go for if I was New Orleans. Like, that seems like a lot. I mean, I know – I guess the thing is Brandon Ingram is a proven quantity. Um and I think Zion is to an extent, but I guess my other my I always have in the back of my mind how many games Zion is going to be able to give you per season. And I really, I mean, 72 game regular season, he might give you 40 or 50. And like, I mean, there's there's an argument to be made for load management, especially with the load that he is carrying. Um don't mean to make a fat joke, but uh, could resist. <laughs> um, but like, he's one of those players to where I don't know if you can justify. I mean, you have him on a rookie contract right now, so you're not having to pay him that much money. Um, but the thing is, like, man, if he's only going to give you forty or fifty games a regular season because he's either hurt or you know out of shape or like. The, some other ineffective type of thing. Like, I don't really know how he's not, for me, he's not untouchable, I guess. Um, and gosh, if you can get a healthy CJ McCollum, um, Anthony Simons, and then I think you said uh, Covington as well, and Larry Nance Jr. So it's McCollum, Covington, McCollum, Nance, Covington. Simon Simon stays put in Portland. Okay, but then you also got to get a few draft picks on top of that. I mean, if three I was New unprotected Orleans, draft picks. Yeah. If I was New Orleans, that seems like a good deal to me. Yeah, I I am. Pro I mean, we're probably in the small minority that thinks that. But I, yeah, I, I agree with you, Mark. I don't think um, Zion Williamson should be considered unmovable. At least not until he comes. At least not until you know he puts a string of he comes back healthy, plays like twenty of twenty five games, and just starts bossing it around. I well, I, and even even if he were to do that, like I don't even know if you could judge him based on just a string of twenty to twenty five games. Like I would want to be seeing over at least a season, or if not two, to say, hey, okay you've gotten past your injury or you figured out how to, you know, manage, manage your bulk and all that stuff and like stay in shape and stay available. Um, 
And like, if he can't do that, like, I, I know, as you said, we might be in the minority, but like, I don't think he's on, I don't think he's untradeable. Um, obviously John ja Morant hats off the Grizzlies for, uh, yeah, going with that. Cause, uh, seemed to work out quite a bit better. So that's off to the Grizzlies for having the nut for making the obvious pick at number two. <laughs> well, I guess in a, in a, in a slight reversal hats off to the Colts for drafting Andrew Luck because man, Robert Griffin, the third, even though Andrew Luck is now also retired, uh, did not flame out nearly, nearly what RG three did. So, and the, uh, the dumpster fire that is the Washington football team continues to this day. All right, one last trade to wrap up NBA talk before we move into college. Oh, oh no, there's, there's still NBA talk, Zach. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that in a second, though. This is this is the last, last big move I want to discuss, and it's a three-team deal involving the Pacers, the Jazz, and the Raptors. Now, I was sitting there thinking, a lot of jazz fans are complaining about perimeter defense. And truth be told, it's because they rely way too much on Rudy Gobert. And so I started thinking, what if Rudy Gobert is the problem? Because that's what jazz Twitter tells me is that Rudy Gobert is the problem. So I traded him away. I sent Rudy Gobert to the Raptors. The Jazz get Justin Holiday, Miles Turner, OG Ananobi, and Tori Craig. The Pacers get Goran Dragic and Joe Ingles. And the 2022 first round pick of the Raptors, the 2026 first round pick of the Jazz, and the 2028 first round pick of the Jazz to make over $30 million in cap space for next off season. I'll start with you, Cam. I know you're kind of a cap dork like me. What do you think? So my, my, my direct quote when you sent me this earlier was just laughing and quote unquote Toronto playing large ball. <laughs> um, again, it, it, this just feels to me like I, if this trade were to happen, there would be Pacers fans who would be bitching out the rest of the season because, you know, Drogic and Ingles are not really the pieces. I get that you have an attractive draft pick for um, an attractive draft pick coming from Toronto next year, but this doesn't feel like it. This just feels like a, we're just going to start over. Like we're just going to hit the, the factory reset button here um, for the Pacers. I, I don't like it for the Pacers. Uh, obviously, you know, the jazz is, that's a great deal for the jazz. Um, you know, getting holiday Turner Ananobi, and Craig. That's, I don't know if Gobert is worth that much, but we'll, we'll we'd see that's, <clears throat> that's that's pretty much my only take with that. This it, it'd be a large trade. It's Gobert and two first. That's the way I look at this. Like those two first, 
might be something, might be nothing. It just depends on how long Donovan Mitchell stays in Salt Lake City. And again, I would buy a Joe Ingles jersey if he got traded the Pacers tomorrow. 100% buy it, don't care. I love Joe Ingles. I love what he, the way he plays basketball. It's one of my favorite brands of basketball for sure. But I'll ask you, Mark, if you were the GM of the Pacers, the Raptors or the Jazz, who would say no and why? Well, um, hmm. I would tempted to say the Jazz would say no, just because I think the Jazz are doing the best out of those three teams um, and have the least reason to break things up. Um, that's just, I guess, the conservative answer. Um, I mean, I guess on the Pacer side of things, like saving 30 mil cap space, that, that would do you a great service in terms of going and getting some people that you might want. Um, I mean, I, I look know. at like re-signing TJ Warren. They've got a contract extension with Sabonis coming up. This is still not moving Karis LeVert, who is another asset that they have talked about wanting to move. So if you go get Sexton, for example, from the Cavaliers, which has been a hot rumor for the last several weeks now, you basically have to trade for him and then immediately extend him. And having $30 million in cap space to extend – extend a guy and potentially two if Warren returns to peak form, I think is really important. That's why I think the Pacers love this deal. In fact, I would argue the team that says no is Toronto out of this squad. And the reason why is because why would they want five years of Rudy Gobert? I think he's 31 or 32. He'd be 37 when all that's said and done. I, I could see them being the reason that, that this deal wouldn't go through. But I think overall, I think I found the uh, a needle in the haystack, if you will, of like a like nine player three pick swap that makes a lot of sense for each team involved. Because I'm telling you, Scotty Barnes, Siakam, and Gobert, no one's ever going to score on that front court ever. And they still have Fred Van Vliet. I, 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 I would love to see that, but it's time to transition from trade drama to real drama. And we got to start in Atlanta. Atlanta's been struggling a lot this year. And my man, John Collins, just signed an extension in the offseason. What was it, five years for 125 or four for 125? And Nate McMillan and John Collins are already disagreeing a lot. Cam, what, what, what's going on in Atlanta, and, and what, what can we do to rectify it? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it's, uh, I'm going to kind of spoil our, ne our next discussion because there are a lot of similarities between what's happening in Atlanta with John Collins and what's happening in Indianapolis with Miles Turner. You have disgruntled big, who have, big men who have been the subject of trade rumors basically all year, who aren't getting um, used the way, who, whose role isn't necessarily what they, um, what they expected 
coming into this season and you have all sorts of teams in the NBA kind of monitoring those situations, seeing if something can be done. Obviously, you know, John Collins, that's a, you know, that's an asset. And he gave a, a very poignant interview to uh, Chris Kirshner the other day, basically saying like, this is, you know, my, my, my usage rate is down so much that it's like, it just, it feels like nobody's, uh, it feels like nobody's listening to me. I, it's, you know, he's, he, he quote unquote, I'm, I'm not sitting here complaining and saying that I need more touches of the ball or I need to score more points or need more shots. I said specifically, if there's a way that I feel like is beneficial for everyone and not just myself is for us to be used in the correct way. So it, it basically what he's saying is I'm not saying I need to touch the ball, ball more often, but I need to touch the ball more often. <laughs> and if we go back just a week ago to what Miles Turner was saying in interviews, he's not happy with the role here in Indianapolis. Cam, I, I, I know we've kind of pin, pinpointed you here and talked a lot about like, can we just, can you go smack some sense into Miles Turner? Well, I feel like um, I could, but th there is the problem with that is that the I don't think the Pacers are really in a position for um, much sense where it's like however much sense you smack into somebody, I don't think it's necessarily going to stay around too long. You know, the Pacers are 15 and 26 as of uh, this exact second in time um they are going to be dropping to 15 and 27 they're with they're down 18 to the celtics with five minutes left um it, it, you know this is um it, this is kind of thing if if atlanta was in the position that it was last year where they were a eastern conference finals team or Eastern Conference semifinals team, I'm sorry, and the Pacers were in a position of making the playoffs at all, then I don't necessarily think that these conversations would necessarily be happening or they wouldn't necessarily be happen happening as public as they are. Um, I I think both – I mean, like like we, we've talked about the Pacers for so long, you know, I, I – you know, we know, everybody knows like what the situation is there. It's like something just needs to change. I think somebody just needs a, a, um, you know, a, 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 a new apartment basically. Um, you know, when it comes to Atlanta, you know, they're sitting two games behind the Knicks in, in 12th. Um, you know, they're, they, they just have not been as good you know, they are not as good as they are as they were last year for whatever reason. Um, it, it, it's probably just like some performance related frustration. You know, obviously, um, you know, uh, Collins kind of has to compete for some touches down low with Clint Capella. Um, you know, Trey Young is, is always going to be ball dominant. He's always going to be that team's leading scorer. You know, John Collins is averaging, you know, 17 and a half points in a game. He's got a player efficiency rating over 20. Um, 
I, I don't necessarily know what what you really want to ask for because I don't necessarily think the answer is taking the ball out of Trey Young's hands. I mean, you could sit Capella. I mean, Capella could play less minutes, but that's not what you want defensively or in terms of rebounding. So it's it, it, it who knows with Collins. I mean, that's I think that, the answer is Cam Reddish. It just have to be something where. They're just gonna. They got to figure something out mentally. I I think it's you know Collins was talking about you know needing a change of mentality and I think he may have to take his own advice to heart. And Mark, I know you love NBA drama as much as the next, the rest of us. How rank these in order: worst to best, like worst for the team, best for the team. Ben Simmons, Miles Turner, John Collins. Um, I would say best for the team, probably John Collins, because I think he does make a good point. I mean, obviously, as Cam said, you're competing for touches, but same time, I think you can figure that one out. Um, I think that is a – you're making a point – um, I know I know not everybody likes when you call stuff the way you see it sort of thing, but like I think Atlanta, I think you can figure that out. I don't think it's as big of a deal as people are making it out to be. Um, yeah, I agree. Simmons is obviously Philly, I think is just a dumpster fire right now. Um, they're not going to get what they want for him and he's not going to play. So it's probably going to be. He just sits on the bench till the end of the season, and then they try to figure it out in the offseason. Um, so I think that's probably the most detrimental because I think out of those three, I think if you have a productive Ben Simmons, I think he offers you the most, um, and I think you miss him the most. And then I would say I would put Miles Turner in the middle of that because while him calling out the team isn't good, because he is an important player on the team. Um, and I do think he is like one of those, you know, kind of cornerstone pieces of the Pacers and has been for a bit. Um, I also don't think he always shows the productivity to make it so that you can say, oh, well, we're just going to have to deal with this because we can't get rid of him. It's like, I think there is a, there are quite a few trades that would make sense to say, hey, you know what? you're not worth the hassle anymore to us. We can get some, you know, some people that we would like in here. And if you're just going to be whiny and also unproductive, like we don't need to keep you around. So might be harsh, but I think uh, sometimes that works. And it, it kind of sucks that Joel Embiid is on the Sixers because like, I, I don't necessarily know if he could play with, if you could play Embiid at the same time as Turner and, Collins, but those would be two, I, I feel like decent deals that, that could potentially be made is like one of the two of them for Simmons. I, I think the thing with Philly that I think they need to think more of sometimes is building their team around Joel Embiid. And I don't know if they always do that. Um, I don't know, it might just be me, but so then, I, 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 so then speaking of Ben Simmons, um, Adrian Wojnarowski 
was reporting that uh, there was a meeting today between Rich Paul, Ben Simmons' agent, um, and the Sixers president of basketball operations, Daryl Morey, and GM Elton Brand on the state of Ben Simmons' future. Those talks remain at a stalemate. Neither side is really looking, it doesn't really seem that it's uh, any closer to blinking. And an interesting footnote that I saw as I was reading um, this story by Woj um, that I know is just gonna drive Zach crazy. Um, the Sixers asking price for Simmons is growing in price, not declining. Well, you know, man, I don't know what they got in their clubhouse, but I mean, pass a little bit over here because whatever they're smoking must be pretty good. I think that some team out there could make a desperation move. And there's a lot of desperation franchises out there. We've seen the Knicks grasp at straws to go make a big ass move and big swing out of nowhere. So, like, I don't know. Could I see the Knicks just like blowing up their team, sending four first, seven Fournier, and you know, other players for Ben Simmons? Absolutely, because that's just who they are. Is there, you know, a desperation move that could come out of Sacramento where the ownership's pissed off? They, you know, they always suck even though they're paying De'Aaron Fox $28 million? Absolutely. I can see it 100%. There's desperation franchises. You know, maybe one of the teams I haven't really thought about, but maybe New Orleans goes out and is like, look, man, like Brandon Ingram's not wearing next to Zion Williamson. What if we got Brandon Ingram that can't shoot next to Zion Williamson? And so, like, I don't know what, you know, what all they are asking price has been. Obviously, it's been reported they want a top 25 player and multiple picks and pick swaps. Ain't going to fucking happen. There's no team in the right mind would do that. Even Portland right now, who has the option of just like sitting Dame and CJ for the rest of the year so they can get healthy for next year. Or trading CJ away for Ben Simmons and sitting in next to Dame for the rest of the year. Why would they feel inclined at all to attach any first round pick stat? There's because I, in my opinion, CJ McCollum's the better player overall, especially on offense. But when Dame was out last year, CJ took that team over, put him on his back, and willed him to a nine game win streak. Like why why are we even having this discussion? I would rather have CJ on my team. And plus, I don't think Chauncey Billups and Ben Simmons would mix that well. I mean, Chauncey's always been about effort. He's always been about guys showing up to work and doing their fucking job. And ben Simmons is not the kind of guy to do that. I'm sorry. He's just not that, that person uh, that he would need to be. So, yeah, it, it's frustrating to say the least, Cam, but I'm not surprised because Daryl Morty's Daryl Morey is as big of an ass at as Danny Ainge. So let's move, let's move on to college before I blow an artery or something in my brain, have an aneurysm. 
Yeah. Yeah. The, let's, the, the let's, let's talk about my, my favorite sport, um, which is which is college basketball. So, uh, and but but before we do that, uh, we're gonna say goodbye to Mark for the evening. Mark, it was a pleasure. Uh, as always, your insight is invaluable, and your locks are golden. Uh, my uh, my cynicism is usually. Uh, I, I try to keep it real as best I can because I I mean although I think I think all three of us do a pretty good job at that we don't uh, shoot too much sunshine and rainbows up people's asses in terms of uh, what's going on but you know that's what that's, it is that's the title of the episode sunshine and rainbows sunshine and rainbows yeah Zach write that down um, all right <laughs> all right guys have a good one so the thing Zach the thing that I really wanted to talk about. Um, is this as we start off the the new year 2022 we're getting into conference play with college basketball um the top five is cursed we have seen uh teams get into the top five and then immediately lose that has not changed uh we're recording this on january the 12th on january the 11th the number one ranked baylor bears lost uh at uh, in Lubbock to Texas Tech, who Texas Tech, a good team in and of themselves. You know, I, I think Texas Tech has shown that they're going to be competitive uh, in the Big 12. And I think that that could even kind of parlay itself into a run, I think, at the Big 12 uh, championship. Um, I still think Baylor's the favorite there, but, you know, uh, uh, Adonis Arms just had a really really phenomenal game against baylor um we saw usc get up to their their highest ranking of all time and then losing at home to stanford we have seen other teams you know obviously that purdue got uh, all the way up to number one and lost to rutgers um i i think we've seen enough the top five is cursed uh it's you know, especially, um, you know, especially this year. And it, it's it's almost kind of refreshing coming off, off the year that we had last year with, you know, Gonzaga and uh, Baylor being such a clear one and two to see uh, kind of some, a, a level of parity return this year. Yeah, and I mean, you're also forgetting teams like Villanova who lost like three times as a top 10 team early in the season. You know, Ohio State's lost as a top 10 team. And and I, it is really cool to watch these teams just, like, shit the bed every fucking day. It, it really is. I love watching upsets. March is just around the corner for people who are like me and love watching, you know, 14 seeds knock off three seeds. But I think one of the things we're missing here more than anything is just, like, how much bigger this – like season feels in years past. You know, I look at, you know, all the hype around Chet Colgren, and I think his hype has even died a little bit this season because uh, he just hasn't had as many impactful plays in as many games. Because you look at like other players, Paulo Banchero, and um, you even have like EJ Liddell and like even Zach Eady and like the guys in. Purdue, Jade, you know, of course, Jade Ivey's been unbelievable, but there have been a lot of people who have been either like 
exceeding expectations by miles, you know, from where we kind of expected them to be, or there's just people who haven't lived up to the hype. And I really love that about college basketball right now. It's been a lot of fun to watch. I, I, and I got to say, even some of these mid-major conferences, you know, obviously we talk a lot about IUPUI because I go there. But there are teams in these mid-major conferences that I don't think should be taken lightly. You know, you have the West Coast Conference, obviously, with Gonzaga, with San Francisco, St. Mary's, BYU. But then you have, you know, the Valley who has Loyola, and Drake is usually good, and Missouri State always puts up a fight, and they're going to continue to get, you know, those conferences are going to continue to grow, and of course, you know, we've already seen Cleveland State, they're off to their hottest start in the horizon in a long time, and Belmont, and all these teams, man, they've been, it's been a really cool season, for sure, to say the least. But yeah, I know one of the things you wanted to talk about. It's wide open for sure. And, and I know like even, you know, you're talking about, you know, teams to look out for in, from the smaller conferences. You know, Colorado State uh, is is really good in the Mountain West as well as San Diego State. Davidson um, is kind of, has kind of, um, has been very good this year, uh, kind of leading the pack out of, out of the A-10. You know, there was a lot of preseason hype around St. Bonaventure. Um, they're kind of dealing, they're dealing with some COVID issues, um, have dealt with some COVID issues. You know, Davidson, 3-0 and so far in the Atlantic 10. Um, you know, Houston, obviously, is, is going to be a team to look out for. Um And yeah, I, I think I, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I think I, I, I have a an idea of where you're going and that's, you know, the, the West coast conference, not to be taken lightly this year. Um, in the latest bracketology, I want to, I, I want to see how you feel about this. The West coast conference had four teams in the tournament in Gonzaga, BYU, San Francisco, and St. Mary's. The PAC 12 had three teams, USC, UCLA, and Arizona, the ACC, if we're not talking about teams on that bubble, on that last four in, first four out bubble, only had three teams in Duke, North Carolina, and Miami. Um, obviously, San Francisco, San Francisco and Loyola uh, kind of scheduled a, like had a, had a little guerrilla game, uh, kind of just thrown onto the schedule that Loyola took, took down. Um, but I, I want to focus on the West Coast Conference if, if those four teams can stay relatively clean in the West Coast Conference and, you know, maybe only drop a game or two to each other and, you know, they're, you're not, you know, dropping games to um, like San Diego or uh, Santa Clara or, you know, Portland or somebody like that. I think there's a real shot the West Coast Conference gets four teams in the, in the tournament. 